Welcome to Practical Christian Living. We believe that God chooses by drawing us, but we don't believe God makes us get saved. And that's what a Calvinist believes. So when it comes to perseverance of the saints, a Calvinist is saying, God chose you, God saved you. It is a, a total, complete work of God, which I would say yes to that, but you don't receive it by faith. I believe that God provides salvation. It's a total work of God. I can't save myself. Salvation is a work of God and God alone. He draws us, we respond and receive Him. But does God choose all? The Bible says whosoever believes will be saved. But once you believe and receive, can you lose your salvation? Today on Practical Christian Living, we are talking about our commitment to Christ and the fruit that results when the commitment is real. With more from Hebrews chapter 6, here's Robert Furrow. First of all, I want to start off by saying that I'm not sure I'm quite prepared for this text. I almost passed on it tonight. But the more I studied the text, the more I finally settled into, no, I'm ready to teach it now. I shouldn't say that I'm completely ready to teach it now. I'm saying maybe I reserve the right to change my mind in the future. How about that? But it is one of the scariest and misunderstood passages in the Bible. And today we want to take a look at what's being said. And we want to make every attempt that we can to stay true to the text. I get frustrated at Bible teachers and sometimes good Bible teachers that want to put spin on a difficult passage. And you guys know what I mean by spin, right? They've got what they believe, so they want to put spin on it so it says what they believe, or at least they can make it compatible with what they believe. I think that's the wrong way to approach the Bible. We want to go to the Bible to learn what we believe. And if something we're believing is wrong, then we want to know it's wrong. I say often that we are on a truth quest, not an I'm right quest. And this is one of those passages. I think Bible teachers, a lot of times with this passage, do what Republicans and Democrats do. An event happens that's bad for the Republicans and they put a spin on it and they say it's good. An event happens that's bad for the Democrats and they put spin on it and they say it's good. And that's what happens with this text. Depending on what you believe, they take this text, and when you're listening to them, you know exactly what they're doing. It's not hidden. You know what they believe about salvation. And so when they start in talking about this text and they put that spin on it, you see clearly what they're doing, and I think it's such a mistake. I want us to stay true to the text. I want to know what the text means, what God wants it to say. If it challenges what we believe, then good, right? We want to be challenged with what we believe. If it stretches what we believe and we have to ask ourselves, do I really believe this and does it fit into it? Then good. Now let's start by reading the text. Let me give some comment as we make our way through this text. Verse one of chapter six says, therefore, this is why I want to be able to give comment for the very first word in our text, because there are people who will go to that word, therefore, and they will say that therefore is there for a reason which the therefore is always there for a reason, right? But then they say that it's therefore because the book of Hebrews is written to non-believers. It's written to Hebrews who have not become Christians yet. And so the writer wants them to become Christians. 
And so this warning is a warning not to Christians, but to non-believers. That's the first way that they deal with this warning. There's a problem with that. And that is that in chapter 3, the author says, holy brethren, as he talks to them. He talks about them partaking in salvation. So it's obvious that the writer has at least those who are saved in mind, at least partially. He might have Hebrews who are not saved in mind as he writes this, but we know that he has Hebrews who are saved. We also know why the book of Hebrews is written. It's written because there are, are those from Israel who have become Christians. They face persecution. It's difficult for them, and they're going back into Judaism. And so the book is written for that reason. If you want to know what the therefore is therefore, then go to chapter 5, go to the end of chapter 5, and it says, you have grown to need milk and not meat. You are immature. So he's talking about them being immature. And then he says, therefore, because by now you guys ought to be teaching, but you are in need to be being taught the basic principles again, right? That's the very end of chapter 5. Then he says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. He hasn't skipped a, a thought. You are immature. You need to be taught. You should be teachers. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. And that brings us to the second thing that people say about this text to not make it for, for Christians is they say that this list of things that's going to be listed here is to Judaism. But it doesn't say leaving the discussions of the elementary principles of God. Like you, you, you've learned in Judaism the basics. Now we want to move on to deeper things of God. It says leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. So it fits in with the maturity passage in chapter 5. You guys are immature. You need to grow. So we need to leave the basic teachings of Christ. Let us go on to perfection. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. That is that for them, remember these are Hebrews. So they used to believe that they were saved by works. And so we don't want to lay again the foundation of repentance against dead works. That you no longer, you don't repent from dead works. You repent and you have faith towards God, which is the next thing he says. And faith towards God of the doctrine of baptisms or washings of the laying on of hands of the resurrection from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of our bodies and of eternal judgment. When I read this list, I think these are basic elements. These are basic principles. The writer of Hebrews really wants us to go deeper, way deeper into Christ than I think that we, we generally grasp. And this we will do if God permits. So God will permit for us to move on from these things and into things that are deeper and more profound. Then he says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, having tasted the heavenly gift and having become partakers of the Holy Spirit and having tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them to repentance. It doesn't say it's impossible for someone to fall away to return, but it says to renew them to repentance. They will no longer want to be there. They turn away from repentance. It's impossible to renew them to repentance. And then it goes on to say, since they crucify again themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Then it gives us an analogy, starting in verse 7. For the earth which drinks the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs, 
useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. In other words, if there's fruit in our lives that is good, then we're going to receive a blessing from God. That's the analogy. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near being cursed, whose end is to be burned. If the fruit of our lives is thorns and thistles, then we are near to being burned. Right? That's the analogy. All right, let's come back and talk about this passage now. It obviously ties into the once saved, always saved argument. And that's one of the reasons that people want to do everything they can do to get this text out of the realm of being a Christian. That this person is a Christian who falls away and then cannot come back. There are three possibilities of who this passage is talking about. Number one, it's talking about people who were never saved. That is the main argument of a Calvinist when they come to this passage. There's two arguments. I'll give you what both of those arguments are. But that's the main argument of a Calvinist who comes to this passage. They will say that they believe that these are people who were never saved. There's a problem, though. If a person who's never saved falls away, let's say they gain light, they gain information about Christ, maybe they even start, but they never have genuine faith, and then they fall away, now it's impossible to renew them to repentance. So what exactly would that mean? The second are those who are backslidden. Those who are genuine Christians, but they are backslidden. Okay? And that they're in danger because of being backslidden of going away too far. Those who are backslidden. And then the third is the once saved, but now lost. That is people who were once saved, but now they're on the verge of actually being lost. Now, when we talk about Calvinism and the five points of Calvinism, and we talk about the once saved, always saved position of Calvinism. So there's, there's five points. And I don't need to cover all five of them right now, right? But we come to the perseverance of the saints. And the perseverance of the saints is the one point of Calvinism that is believed by more Christians than any other point. It's like I, I can't get away from going over them. We believe in total depravity, but we don't necessarily believe in total depravity the way that an extreme Calvinist would. We believe that God chooses by drawing us, but we don't believe God makes us get saved. And that's what a Calvinist believes. So when it comes to perseverance of the saints, a Calvinist is saying, God chose you, God saved you. It is a, a total, complete work of God, which I would say yes to that, but you don't receive it by faith. I believe that God provides salvation. It's a total work of God. I can't save myself. I'm totally lost. I'm totally corrupt. I need a salvation. I can't save myself. God provides salvation. And then by faith, you receive salvation. And the proof that there is genuine faith in your life is the fruit that you follow through with. That's the proof of the genuine faith. So I would reject Calvinism with God saying, I choose some to be lost. I choose some to be saved randomly. I just randomly reach out and choose one to be lost and one to be saved. However, I do believe that God causes us to persevere. But I also believe that we have to make it to the end. That if we commit our lives to Christ, if we raise our hand during a service, or if we maybe during communion tonight, you took communion and you said, I really want to live for you. That's not like you're receiving a ticket for heaven. I got my ticket for heaven. It can never be taken away from me now. It's you heading down a course. It's you starting down a road. You give your life to Christ and he transforms you and he changes you into a new person. 
and you head down that road. Now, when I'm talking to those who are Calvinists, they will say to me, well, you're an Arminianist. And I always push back. I always say, no, I'm not. I don't like being pigeonholed for one thing. I've never studied Jacob Arminianus, Arminian, whatever it is. I've never studied him. As you can tell, I can't even pronounce his name. So to say that I believe what he believes, I think is a stretch. Plus, I don't believe that you can lose your salvation and be resaved. And that's what an Arminianist is going to believe. That they can leave their salvation. And we probably should get out of the, using the term lose your salvation because that's like, oh, where's my salvation? I'm, I, I lost it. I can't find it. I don't believe that you can lose your salvation and then be resaved. And the closest I am to a point that I believe it is perseverance of the saints. I believe that when a person is genuinely born again, that they cannot lose their salvation. But that's not to say that I believe the same thing that a Calvinist believes. Because a Calvinist would believe that you are genuinely born again and that God was the one who chose you and that you are going to make it to the end no matter what. I believe that God chooses through his foreknowledge. That God knows whether or not your commitment to Christ is a genuine one. He knows whether or not it's a fake one. Hey, the tares, right? An enemy comes in, he sows the tares among the wheat. So there are tares in every church. There are those who are genuinely saved and there are those who aren't, except in Calvary Tucson. <laughs> but that being true, it's good for us to really examine ourselves and to say, have I made a real, genuine commitment to Christ? And so we make a commitment to Christ. If it's real and it's genuine, then there's a transformation that happens and then there's fruit that is evident that we made a real transformation. God knows and God has given us some promises. L listen to these two passages that fight against each other. There's tension in the Bible about God that's doing a work to keep us saved and about us doing work to keep ourselves saved. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Now let me read that again. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Matthew 24 says those who endure to the end will be saved. So we know we have to finish the race. Now, a Calvinist would say that a genuine Christian is going to finish the race and that anybody who is an apostate is not necessarily a genuine Christian. This speaks to the confidence that we have in our own salvation. A Calvinist is going to say you can never be sure that you are 100% saved. But if you believe in Christ and you are committed to making sure that you stay with him through the remainder of your life and it's genuine, I believe that you can have 100% confidence that you're saved. They're going to say, well, only time will bear it out, which seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? You've got the perseverance of the saints, that the confidence of our salvation, and then when you push them to the end, how do you know you're not going to walk away? How do you know right now you are genuinely chosen? Because God chooses randomly and does it. And we know people who walked with Christ, who at least looked like they did, who were living for him, they thought they were, and then they fell away. There's a very famous pastor. You would know him if I gave you his name. His main assistant for 20 years walked away from God and became an atheist. He says of him, he's Calvinist, 
he says that he doesn't believe that he was ever saved. So if a person like that can walk away after they've pastored in a church for 20 years and they can walk away and never be saved, how can we know that we are genuinely saved? Because the Bible says, believe on him. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So God, through his foreknowledge, knows that we will make a commitment and that we will finish it. And those are the ones, I believe, that are genuinely saved. Now listen to this next passage. This is John 10, 27. It says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. The Bible also says that God knows those who are His. So out of every Christian in the world, God knows those who are His. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And so we have to endure to the end. But God knows who's going to endure to the end, and those who are going to endure to the end have been given eternal life, and they will not lose their salvation. So that's why I say, even though I don't agree with the once saved, always saved position of a Calvinist, I believe that the person who is genuinely saved will be saved to the end. And I think the Bible gives us that confidence. So our key is to make sure that we are genuinely saved. Let's take a look at another example. So Jesus tells a parable of the four soils. Yeah, the first soil, which is a hard heart. The seed lands on it and immediately gets taken away. We know that's an, a non-believer, right? Because just immediately it was gone. The Word of God had no effect on them at all. That happens all the time. We share with people. People come to church, hear a message. You think good, they're here. And then they walk away, they're like, eh, nothing. You know, and you're like, bummer. The second is those that take up a shallow route. So they respond quickly and with great joy. But when the sun comes out, it beats on it and they wither away. So those had some evidence, but it wasn't lasting evidence. If you would have looked at them when they sprouted up quickly, you would go, that person's really saved but they weren't really saved. Then you have those that are planted among the thorns, among the thistles, the weeds, and the weeds choke out the Word of God. Now they go a little bit farther. And then Jesus said that the weeds are the cares and the worries of this world that choke out the Word of God. So if you looked back at those, you would say, from the very beginning, you would have said that they were saved. But those who had their root went up quickly were not saved. Neither were those that got choked out by the weeds. But those that were saved were those that had good ground that produced 30, 60 to 100 fold. They produced fruit, right? Sound familiar? So the Bible tells us that we have to produce fruit. They produce fruit. And then that's a revelation that they have made a commitment to Christ. So that I believe that salvation is God working in us. I'm not saying that we have to keep ourselves saved. I'm saying it's by the grace of God by the power of God, by the strength of God, that we throw our, ourselves on Him, unable to work out our own salvation. We throw ourselves on Him, and because we do that, then God carries us to the end. And that God has made salvation available for everyone, which would be against Calvinism. Now, with that in mind, let's come back and take a look at our text. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ. 
let us go on to perfection. What would perfection be? Being perfect. When are we going to be perfect? When we enter into the presence of God. Not laying again the foundation of repentance to dead works. That we wouldn't once again trust on any works to save us. I'm not talking about us going out and working to be able to be saved. I'm talking about us having fruit in our lives that is a sign that we have genuinely committed our, our lives to Christ. And then it says faith towards God, the doctrines of baptisms, and that's in the plural. Remember that the Jews had not only baptism, but they had washings as well. So he's talking about baptism for a believer and washings under Judaism. If you have to do those, if you don't have to do them, he says, and laying on of hands, which is we lay hands on people to send them out, lay hands on people for them to be healed. In the Old Testament, they laid hands on a goat. Remember the scapegoat? They would lay hands on the scapegoat of the resurrection of the dead. So again, that we have been resurrected, that Jesus has been resurrected, that we're going to be in his presence and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. Sounds like those who are, have been saved, right? But people could come to church and learn and be enlightened and not make a complete commitment. Those who have tasted of the heavenly gifts and become partakers of the Holy Spirit. So again, the word taste is used. So some have said, well, it's tasting of the heavenly gifts, which we would say would be the gifts of the Spirit and partakers of the Holy Spirit, which I think you have to say you're saved in order to be a partaker of the Holy Spirit and a partaker of the Holy Spirit. Then verse 5, and having tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, tasted of the word of God and the powers of the ages to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again to themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Now let me give you an analogy that I think helps us to understand this. In Acts chapter 27, Paul is on a ship. He's been arrested in Jerusalem. He's making his way to Rome. And of course, it's Paul. There's a storm. And the ship is going to be shipwrecked. And Paul hears from God, everyone on this ship is going to be saved. That's a promise from God. Everyone on this ship is going to be saved. And then a little bit of time goes on and the sailors want to get off the ship. They're like, we're not staying with the ship. It's going down. We're going to get off. So Paul goes to, I think it's the centurion, and tells him, if these men get in the boat, not everybody's going to be saved. God had told him everybody in the boat was going to be saved. But now he has a warning. If the men get in this boat, not everybody's going to be saved. And so the captain gave the order, and the men did not go in the boat, and God's word to Paul was completely fulfilled. The warning was heeded. So I think the same thing is happening with this text and in our salvation. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse -verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. 
For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for REACH College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.